I'm doing a two-part message called Yes and Amen. It's called Yes and Amen. What is it that comes to your mind when you hear these words? Yes and Amen. Come on. What's it? A promise. A promise. That's what I'm looking at. God is a promise keeper. God, God's word never changes. You know, God's word, you, know, you, might have ha you might have had something spoken over your life. God might have given you a word from the word. God might, God might have spoken to you from the word and given you a promise from the word. And you've been carrying it for, you've been carrying it for a very long time. God might have given you a promise through people. And you might have been carrying that word for a very long time. And you've probably reached that place. When is it going to come to pass? When is it going to happen? Is it going to come to pass? You know, I was very encouraged a couple of weeks ago, uh, actually on August 6th, to receive a message for, from a person who was struggling with, uh, was struggling with, excruciating pain in her shoulder she used to be part of our church now they've moved out of India they've moved out of uh, out of the UA and she was struggling with excruciating pain for the last couple of years frozen shoulder was really bad and uh, she reminded me and said that every week when I'd come to church you'd pray for me and so many other people would pray for me I forgot about it because, you know, when, when the person is praying as well, you come to a point where, God, when is it going to happen? You know, when, when is it going to happen? The person praying might give up, but the other person who's being prayed for, very often, a lot of times, does not lose hope. And so this person messaged me on August 6th and said, I want you to know that I am completely healed and she said just today which was August 6th you know it just came to my mind how every week you'd see me you'd pray for me other people in church would pray for me and I just kept holding on to those promises that you were going to be healed you were going to, this is from this is from 2020 okay from 2020 she was just holding on that you were going to be healed you're going to be healed and she said, today I am fully healed. You know, I may have lost hope. But reading that, that message and the testimony on August 6th, it really stirred up something within me. And not that I don't realize it, but it made me realize all the more that God's words never fall to the ground. But it accomplishes everything set in its path. And it will bring everything that needs to be brought to fulfillment. God's word will bring it to fulfillment. God is a promise-keeping God. He never fails. He never fails. And you know, over the last, uh, over the last 10 days, I've just, been, I've just been, you know, God's just been speaking to me a whole lot. I mean, out of, out of the many things that God's been speaking to me about, He's been, he's been, he's been talking to me about Him being a promise keeper and he will never change and he will never fail whatever promise we have for us as a church words that have been spoken promises that have come for us 
will come to pass. Will come to pass. You know, it's very important for us to start seeing it in the supernatural. It's very important for us to start seeing it in the supernatural. Because what we see in the supernatural and what we declare in the supernatural will be brought what we see in the supernatural and what we declare in the supernatural, we will see a manifestation of it in the natural, in the physical, as long as we do not lose hope and we do not give up. You know, and just to begin, just to begin uh, this two-part message, in 1994, there was a 67-year-old carpenter named Russell Herman. And he died in the U.S. He died in a place called Marion in Illinois. And in his last will and testament, he left the following. $2.4 billion to a nearby town. $2.4 billion to the city of East St. Louis. $1.5 billion for projects in southeastern Illinois. And in a final act of unprecedented generosity, he left $6 trillion to the Federal Reserve to pay off the national debt. Now there was only one problem with this will. At the time of his death, the only thing Mr. Herman actually owned was a 1983 old Storonado. It's a classic American car. That's the only thing he owned. Russell Herman may, had, may have not left anything of monetary value, but he did leave us all with a good reminder. You can't give away what you don't possess. You can't give away what you don't possess. The bottom line is that he did not have the resources to make any of this a reality. But not so with God. Not so with God. God has all the means to make good on all his promises. God has all the means to make good on all his promises. You know, we live in a world, we live in a world of broken promises, don't we? We live in a world of broken promises. From relational pain to political promises, you know, where the candidates promised you, we're going to do this for you, we're going to do this for the environment, we're going to do this for the community, we're going to, you're going to have water, you're going to have lights in the villages, you're going to have electricity 24 hours, you know, and right now in India, there's the, you know, it's campaigning time. You know, people are on the forefront, promising, promising, promising. And, we, and, and the thing is that throughout generations, not just in politics, but throughout generations, we've experienced promises being broken. You know, and now more, now more, more than ever before. More than ever before. And so we live in a world of broken promises. You know, whether it's over-the-top ads for fast food, whatever it is. But many of us have become skeptical whenever we hear someone make a claim that appears too good to be true. But what I want to drive forward, what I want to get you to understand, and what I want, to, what, what I want basically to sink into, into your heart this afternoon is to know that in a world of broken promises... God can be counted on. In a world of broken promises, God can be counted on. 
How many of you are holding on to some promise today? One, two, three, four, five. Awesome. I'm going to do that once more. How many of you are holding on to at least one promise today? Most of us, a lot of us. You know, the amazing thing of the Word of God, why we emphasize on getting into the Word, why we as a church, as Hope DXB, you know, out of the many things that we feel that God's called us to focus on, one of it is being strong in the Word. You know, we want to be a church that is Spirit-led. We believe that God's called us to be strong in the Word, and we want to be strong in prayer. We really want to establish a praying culture within this church. But why is it that we keep emphasizing, you know, we want to be strong in the word. There's something about getting into the word of God. You know, 1956 Everett Storms, a school teacher, during his 27th reading of the Bible, during his 27th reading of the Bible, now, now I'm not expecting people over here to... Uh, to answer how many times you've answered, how many times you've read the Bible. I'm just expecting you to get into the Word of God, cover to cover, from Genesis to Revelation, and see what God can do for you. But during, during, during his 27th reading of the Bible, he tallied up 8,800 promises, and it took him a year and a half to write them all down. One of the main reasons why we say, get into the Word, get into the Word, get into the Word, because when you don't get into it, you don't really understand and know what you're missing out on. One of the main reasons why we say get into the Word, because the Word of God is life. It is alive. And the Word of God wants to, and God wants to speak to you through His Word, and He wants to give you promises that you will not only hold on to, but He wants to give you promises that will come to pass from His Word. That is why we keep saying, get into the Word of God. You know, in the Old Testament, the word promise refers to speaking, speech, or to say. And what it simply means is that when God says something, that settles it. When God says something, that settles it. That is why it's so important to get into the Word. You know, I just love the way one pastor put it. A promise is the assurance that God gives to His people so that they can walk by faith while they wait for him to work. A promise is the assurance that God gives to his people so that they can walk by faith while they wait for him to work. You know, George Parsons, uh, I just love the description that he gave between a command and a promise. A command from God is something we should do. A promise from God is something God will do. A command must be obeyed. A promise must be believed. When God gives a command, he says, you will. When God gives a promise, he says, I will. I will. You know, Adoniram Judson, the great missionary to Burma, once said, the future is as bright as the promises of God. D.L. Moody said, God never made a promise that was too good to be true. And there's, another state, and there's another statement worth pondering. God never overpromises, and he never underdelivers. What is it that you're holding on to today? 
What are some of those things that have taken a while to come to pass, but yet with that string of hope you are holding on to? What are some of those things? I want, you to, I want, I want to say this to you. Don't give up. Don't let go. You are at the brink of a miracle. You're standing at the edge of your breakthrough. You're just a step away from your breakthrough. You're just a step away from your victory. And many a times when we are a step away from our victory, that is when we turn around and we walk back. And we say we cannot take it anymore. Don't give up. And today I just want to give you a few pointers to establish some guardrails on the pathway to God's promises. The first that the first uh, the first point that I want to make this afternoon is promises need to be put in their context to get the full meaning. Everybody say context. context. Say context. context. You know there are many things in the word of God that we take out of context. You know, many a times, now I'm not saying that God hasn't spoken that way. I've done it. I've experienced God speak to me this way, or I don't do it, I don't do it anymore. But I've done it, you know. How many of you, come on, very honest, how many of you have been in the place where you're sitting and you're like, God, speak to me right now. Speak to me right now. And you open the word of God. And you saw Judas hang, hung himself on a tree. How many of you? <laughs> this doesn't work that way. We close the Bible and we're like, no, no, no. Oh, let's even better. God's going to open the floodgates of heaven for you. Oh, that's what I'm going to claim. That's what I'm going to claim. How many of you close back the Bible and say, no, no, God, uh, that, that's good, but speak to me again. And you open the Bible somewhere else, Jesus wept. Huh? You know? We'd, but listen, listen, God is God. He can speak anyway, anyhow. But many a times when we do certain things, when we do certain things like that, we take the word out of context. You know, when we under, let, let, me give you, let me give you a bit of a teaching. Okay, let me give you a bit of a teaching for a minute. Uh, when you're reading the Bible, when you're reading the Bible, Get a good commentary. Get a study Bible. The life application study Bible is brilliant. You know, NASB, NIV. Get a good study Bible. Because it's very important to know that what you're reading, obviously the Holy Spirit wants to speak to you. The Holy Spirit will speak to you. But it's very important to understand what you are reading and not to take it out of context. You know, and while you're reading... Focus on this plan. It's called AIM. A-I-M. Which simply means the author's intended meaning. The author's intended meaning. Many of us, while we read the Bible, while we read scripture, we like to put our own interpretation into what we just read. And we wipe out the author's intended meaning. When you're reading your word, when you're reading the Bible, Get to know the context. Get to know the history. Get to know the setting. And I'm telling you, you will fall so much more in love with the word of God like never before. You know, how many of you, when you travel and you go to a destination for the first time, 
and you see greenery, you, you see the surrounding, you see the environment, and you go, whoa, wow, I've never been here, but this is worth it. In the same way, when you, when you read your word, when you read the word of God, there's so much more than what is just written over there. When you want to find out what actually happened, what's God saying to the churches, What's God communicating to the people at this point of time? What was it in the book of Acts that caused them to, that caused them, because they were not superheroes, they were not any superhuman beings, but they came and they sold whatever they had so that everyone could, could have equal share. No one was discriminated. What was it about these people that caused them to do it? Understand the context. Understand the setting. Understand what was in the author's heart. So many a times, you know, we take things out of context, but promises need to be put in their context to get the full meaning. One of the most popular promises is found in Hebrews 13, verse 5. Who knows it by heart? Hey, I'm not going to hold you. <laughs> I'm not going to condemn you. After this, you will know it by heart. Okay? Never will I leave you nor forsake you. Never will I leave you nor forsake you. Hebrews 13, verse 5. This is such a comforting verse, right? It, you know, we have it on our, on our cars. We have it on our walls, in our homes. We have it in our, in our offices. You know, we, at some, at sometimes you even see it in hospitals, you know, in other parts of the world. Never will I leave you nor forsake you. But we seldom quote the first part of the verse. Understand, okay, please, just... just this journey along with me. Don't take promises out of context. But we very rarely quote the first part of the verse which says, keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God has said, never will I leave you nor forsake you. You know, and it's not a bad thing. You know, people, people hold on to this verse. People, people cry out these, people cry out these words during a difficult time, during a difficult moment. But we need to realize that because of the promise of God's presence, we can live free from the love of money and become more content with what we have. And that's a promise we all need. Now that's a promise we all need, which is why I said promises need to be put in their context to get the full meaning. The second thing that I want us to look at, the second point is accept all God's promises, not just the ones you like. Not just the ones you like. You know, the Bible says, just paraphrasing it, that things that, the Bible says, the things that will happen to you, there will things that you will go through. No, 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 I reject this. I rebuke this in the name of Jesus. No. It's a promise. You know, for example, God promises persecution and suffering and difficulty for the Christ follower. And he gave us this promise in John 16, 33. In this world, you will have trouble. In this world, you will have trouble. We can't just put the pleasant promises up on our walls and act surprised when suffering comes. But having said that, hold on to the second half of this verse because we know that we don't suffer alone because God said, 
Jesus said, take heart. I have overcome the world. In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart. I have overcome the world. And I want us to know it's a promise that no matter how bad things may be in your life, you might be going through something difficult right now. But there is nothing that Jesus did not overcome that you and I cannot overcome. Trouble will be there. Persecution will be there. Difficult times will be there. But there will be no situation on this earth that you and I will not be able to overcome. There will be no situation, I can guarantee you that, that you and I will not be able to overcome. The third point, the aim of God's promises is to glorify himself. Be careful about demanding that God must do something for you. Be careful. Be careful. You know, I heard, I heard someone recently uh, say this. This person experienced the goodness of God, experienced God's blessing, God's provision, and suddenly this person turns around and says, just because of one small thing, okay? Maybe not so small, but this person turned around and said, God, I just hate you. You don't care for me anymore. You don't do this, you don't do that, you don't do this, you don't do that. No, no, no. Don't be demanding that God must do something for you. Don't be demanding that God must do something for you. We can't just name it and claim it without worshipping the name that is above all names and desiring that he display his honor and glory. God wants to do above and beyond for you. But through that, he's the one who needs to get the glory. God wants to give you a job, your dream job. God wants to give you that promotion. God wants to give you that. He, God wants to heal you. He wants to give you that breakthrough in your family. He wants to give you that, that award that you feel you deserve. He wants to give you all of those things. But never make it about you. Because through everything that God does, through every promise, He alone deserves the glory. He alone deserves the glory. His name needs to be magnified. Not what we are, not who we are and what we've done. You know, Psalm 119 verse 38 says, Fulfill your promise to your servant so that you may be feared. Fulfill, fulfill your promise to your servant so that you may be feared. My fourth point, some promises are conditional. Some promises are conditional. God will do his part when we do ours. God will do his part when we do ours. Often we see this in the use of the if and then passages. Notice what it says in Deuteronomy 11, verses 22 to 23. For if, say if, if you carefully keep all these commandments, which I command you to do, to love the Lord your God, to walk in, his, to walk in all his ways, and to hold fast to him, then, say then, the Lord will drive out all these nations from before you and you will dispossess greater and, and, then, and, and you will dispossess greater and mighty, mightier nations than yourselves. And you will dispossess greater 
and mightier nations than yourselves. We see something similar in Psalm 37, verse 4. Delight yourself also in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. We like the second part, we, we like, we like the second part of this verse. He will give you the desires of your heart. Imagine, God, I'm sorry, I don't have any time to spend with you. Uh, I'm, I'm, work's gotten really busy. God, you understand. You know, I mean, it's a nine-to-five job. You know, you know, you alone know how I got it. I went through all these rounds of interviews and, you know, it was really, it was really hard getting it. But nonetheless, give me the desires of my heart. Nonetheless, give me the desires. We, we really like the second part of the verse. You know, we really like the, the fact, the, the, the promise of getting the desires of our hearts. But we need to remember that the promise is linked to delighting ourselves in the Lord. The promise is linked to delighting ourselves in the Lord first. Conditional promises are also found in the New Testament. Here's one of them. James 4 verse 10. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and He will lift you up. Humble yourselves. You know, uh, uh, quite a number of weeks, I did a two-part message on attitude adjustments. And I said that, you know, one of the things, one of the things that keep us from getting to where we need to be, from where we are, is failing to make that attitude adjustment. I don't want to. Let, let him come and say sorry first. Let her, come and say, let, let her come and say sorry first. Then I'll decide what needs to be done. No, no. The Bible says, humble yourself. Humble. At times, it's painful. Humbling yourself is not easy. It sounds really good in the book of James, but it's not easy. It's one of the hardest things to do. Saying sorry is a story of the past in today's generation. Trust me, I know. Correct your child for doing something wrong. Zoe, say sorry. But I did not do it. She did it. She did it. Zoe, say sorry. No, but why should I let her say sorry? Let Ilana say sorry. I didn't do anything. She pushed me. Zoe, say sorry. Zoe, say sorry. And we have this thing. It started with my wife. When anything, argument, any fight has to happen, after that, they have to hug each other. Thank God my father never made me do that. Thank God. That hug would have been a pretty strong, tight hug. For my brother, my, my sister was eight years younger, so it's okay. <laughs> but, you know, we, we, we get them to do these things, and very often it's like this. No, no, no. Olivia was like, no, no, no. Do it properly. Do it properly. Listen, there's, there's nothing wrong in being humble. We think, we think, you know, many times when we think we need to humble ourselves, it's a very bad thing to do. But you fail to understand, we fail to understand on the reward of being humble. It says, he will lift you up. He will lift you up. I don't know why I'm getting goosebumps saying it. I think God is on this right now. You know, it's, 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 not, it's not wrong. You will not, shed, you will not shed some weight. I wish that was the easiest way to do it. You will not shed some weight. Your skin will not fall off. You will not lose sleep. You will not lose anything by being humble. And maybe it's a word for some of us today. 
Maybe it's a word for some of us. Be humble. If you have to pick up the phone to somebody and say sorry, say sorry. Because you're stopping yourself from receiving the promise that God has spoken in his word. If there's something that you need to make right today, make it right. Because by not doing so, you are stopping yourself from receiving a promise from God that he has spoken in his word. And God is not a person to lie. He never lies. He says he will lift you up. He will lift you up. The second last one, promises must be claimed and applied by faith. Promises must be claimed and applied by faith. Charles Spurgeon once said, do not treat God's promises as do, do not treat God's promises as if they were curiosities for a museum. Do not treat God's promises as if they were curiosities for a museum, but believe them and use them. Believe them and use them. By the exercise of our faith, God's promises become personal. Promises must be claimed and applied by faith. Hebrews 4 verse 2 says, But the word which they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. We're told that Jesus did not do, we're told that Jesus did not do many miracles in a certain town because of their lack of faith. Because of their lack of faith. This is clearly seen with the giving of, this is clearly seen also with the giving of the land of the promise in the book, in the book of Joshua. Joshua 21, 43 says, So the Lord gave to Israel all the land which he had sworn to give their fathers. Now the promise of the land was given to them, but they had to take hold of the promise to make it their own. And they took possession of it and dwelt in it. The promise was given, but they had to take a hold of that promise and make it their own. My prayer is that we would not be like the people described in Psalm 106, verse 24. Then they despised the pleasant land. They did not believe his promise. If you want to profit, beloved, if you want to profit from the promises, you can't be passive about them. You can't be passive. And so my last thing is, don't be passive about God's promises. Many a times we don't want to do anything about it. We just want to, we just want to wait for it to come. Don't be passive about God's promises. If you want to profit from the promises, you cannot be passive about them. Hebrews 6.12 says that you do not become sluggish or lazy, but imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Charles Finney put it like this. The promises were made to be used by God's children, by all who will believe them and appropriate them. The promises were made to be used by God's children, by all who will believe them and appropriate them. And I want to close with Proverbs 13 verse 4. The sluggard, the, the sluggard craves and gets nothing. The sluggard craves and gets nothing. But the desires of the diligent are fully satisfied. The desires of the diligent are fully satisfied. You know, like I said in the very beginning, God is a promise-keeping God. The word, of God is, the word of God says yes and amen. 
Whatever it is that we come before God and we ask according to God's will, God says yes. And we respond by saying amen, which is so be it. I'm going to explain the words yes and amen a lot more next week. But I want you to know today, this afternoon, that there are a number of things that God has spoken over your life, over my life. It might have taken time. It might have taken time. But I want you to know that it will come to pass. It will come to pass.